0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Baseline Intelligence, the podcast designed to make you a better tennis player and a smarter athlete. I'm your host, Jonathan Stokey. Today's guest is American tennis player Jessica Bagula. She reached the quarterfinals of last year's Australian Open and is currently ranked 18th on the WTA Tour. She's going to share a lot of fantastic insight into what her basic strategy is going into a match, how she plays the big points, what she would do differently as a junior tennis player, and why she feeds her dog so much before she goes on the road. So sit back, relax, and prepare to become a smarter tennis player. All right, so Jesse, welcome to the pod.
1: Hi, thanks for having me. Excited to join you in this format.
0: I'm glad to have you on as my guest, and hopefully you can share a bunch of information that'll be helpful uh, to the listeners out there and maybe make them better tennis players.
1: Cool. Yeah, I'm excited to share my, my wisdom, I guess you could call it.
0: All the wisdom you've accumulated. You're, are you 27 years old?
1: Yeah, 27.
0: You've been playing tennis for, is it 20? Did you start when you were five or seven?
1: Uh, I think I was around seven.
0: Because I remember I was at, I thought it was seven. I was at one of your first lessons. So it's been almost two <laughs> decades. Uh, so you do have wisdom. Whether you believe it or not, you, you've got some wisdom to share and uh, and hopefully you'll give some good stuff to the audience out there. So obviously, to start, you know, what an amazing. 2021 season, I looked up last year at this time, I think you were 62 in the world and mm-hmm. you're finishing this season at 18 in the world. So what do you credit that jump in the rankings to?
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel like so many people ask me that, but I, I, I really don't, I mean, there is a couple things I will say. Well, first being healthy for the last couple of years has helped me, you know, to be able to play out the year and like really play these big tournaments, bigger matches, like week in and week out and like gain that experience, which I think is obviously big and staying healthy just in any sport or in general is always a positive. And then, um, along with that, I would say my fitness, um, which kind of goes hand in hand. I just, I got a lot faster moving a lot better. Um, which I think, you know, has helped me stay in matches a lot, uh, a lot better helped me, Improve a lot of things in my game because now I'm quick enough to actually, you know, not go for stupid shots or or make unforced errors because I, you know, I'm too slow or something like that. So th- those kind of both went hand in hand, and then I feel like that also goes into the mental side where I felt like I was mentally tougher because I could stay out there longer, I could run down more balls, I could, um, you know, win points different ways uh, with my legs or my feet, which I've really never been able to do, at least not consistently, because I was always kind of getting hurt um, early on in my career. So I would definitely say those, those three things for sure, but they kind of all, I think, go hand in hand with each other.
0: With the health and fitness, did you start doing more work on that? Or did you just do different work to get better?
1: I would say different work to get better. Um, and, you know, training a lot smarter. I was lucky to find a trainer who was really, really great, actually out of Buffalo and used to train my now husband, Taylor, um, growing up and used to do a lot of different sports. So he wasn't really a lot in tennis, but he was, does a lot of biomechanics. So it's a lot of like mobility, with rehab with strength and conditioning. And, uh, he's really, his thing is like speed and getting more explosive. So I think he's just been kind of like my secret weapon a little bit that, um, I started with him probably, I think like two years ago. So you can just kind of see how that correlated with my results and, um, has kept me healthy and then again, just gotten me a lot faster.
0: I did uh, a few summers in Las Vegas with Gil Reyes, uh, Andre Agassi's old trainer. And they had a saying that weak legs command and strong legs obey. And when you (laughs) said it's a great, it's a great line. And when you were saying, Hey, you know, now that I'm fitter, I don't go for these stupid shots and it's like your, your legs obey. You're like, Hey, get out there, get one more ball, play the smart shot and and don't be afraid to run one more ball down and i think people don't i think they underestimate the impact that has on your mentality when you're actually in great shape like that
1: yes and it definitely went with my mentality and it was weird because before i never used to really like pay attention to the players that were maybe you know more defensive and stuff like that because that wasn't really my game but obviously you know as the game's evolved everyone's a better athlete everyone's quicker and faster and better shape it seems like so I started to appreciate more sounds stupid. Like I didn't appreciate, but like Andy Murray or someone like that who uses his legs so efficiently, that would be someone that I never would have even enjoyed watching. Like, I don't know when I was like 17 or something, but now I like, I think he's, you know, so smart and I I can, I see the game like a totally different way now, not that I still, you know, don't want to step in and be aggressive, but it really does change. Like it can really change your game in, a good, in right. a good way, obviously.
0: Yeah, and it's nice you finally, you know, got around to appreciating, you know, one of the greatest tennis players of all time <laughs> and one of the big four <laughs> and appreciating all the skills he brings to the table.
1: I know, I'd always, before, like, I'd be kind of like, oh, I don't know, like, he's kind of a pusher a little bit. Like, I never really, like, you know, was, he wasn't, like, the one that I wanted to watch, but now, especially now seeing him come back from injuries and stuff like that, I definitely appreciate it. But, yeah, it, it's interesting how it can really kind of change your game. And then also, I think the last few years I struggled, not struggled, but it was a whole different set of skills that I had. And then it became like, okay, when do I, I still need to step in and not, you know, I'm not, I'm never going to be fast enough where that's totally going to be my game. So it was hard to find that balance of like, okay, when do I stay back? And then when do I still need to step in and go for my shots? Cause now it's like, I had this whole other skill set I had to get used to, to using.
0: So we're going to bookmark that. We're going to go back to how you choose tactics and when you pick those moments in the match. I did some uh, pretty intense research for this podcast. Uh, and by that, by that, I mean, I, I Googled <laughs> Jesse Pagula WTA stats, and then I clicked on like the first two links. Uh, mm-hmm. But one thing, one thing I found that was interesting was that uh, 2020, so last season, you won 50.8% of all the points you played. And in okay. this season, which you jumped 44 spots in the rankings, mm-hmm. you won 52%. So That's you crazy. won you won 1.2 more points <laughs> for every 100 points played. And that mm-hmm. one point per hundred resulted in you jumping 44 spots in the rankings.
1: <laughs> That's a crazy so stat.
0: It's crazy. So my question is how difficult... I first of all, I don't even know if you're aware of that, but how difficult does it feel like... It is to improve when the margins are that small.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, that I didn't know that stat. That's a crazy stat. Just to think that the difference between 60 and you know, top 20 or 18 in the world is whatever you just said, one point one point per percent. hundred. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: one insane. point per hundred and you jumped 44 spots.
1: Yeah. Well, it's but that's the thing. It is, it's there's it's such a fine line. Like every match, there's always a turning point where it's like that one long point at one point you should have put the ball away and then I I really believe a lot in like momentum in sports and sometimes I think that's something people don't see or that don't play a lot of sports or never competed at like a really high level is to me it's really easy in any sport to pinpoint like the momentum shifts and that's something you know I just don't think a lot of people realize so like in matches there can be really pivotal moments that just can change the outcome of a match, whether it's a call or a loose point, or, you know, you're at 40 love and you let that game slip away. It just can really change so fast. So I think that's where that, you know, that 1% is, I think, playing the bigger points smarter and not giving up so many free points because then that's when all that stuff can come back to haunt you. And that could be that 1% that sends you to 60 in the world.
0: <laughs> uh, the, the flip side of winning 52% means that you lost 48% and that's a, that's a concept that the kids I coach and the people I work with really struggle with is that you are 18 in the world. And so you're one of the best players on the planet. And that means that a lot of your matches, you're playing someone ranked beneath you now, uh, just by the sheer odds of of who you could draw in a tournament and you Mm -hmm. still have to lose 48%. How do you (laughs) handle, like, how do you handle emotionally losing points?
1: I, I've definitely gotten a lot. It's hard, like tougher on myself in a way where like, I don't want to play loose points. Like I know when I shouldn't have missed a ball or I know when I'm like, okay, that was a bad error. Whereas before maybe I wouldn't really think anything of it. So it's almost, it's weird in a way because it's gotten tougher on myself, but then I've also gotten a little bit easier on myself in the same sense where if I'm doing the right thing and I know I'm doing the right thing that it'll like, you know, you kind of have to be positive that it's going to work and it's going to come back and you know, it's okay to sometimes, um, you know, miss going for the right shot because you're still putting that in your opponent's head that, oh crap, like they barely missed that, or oh gosh, that's a shot that I don't want to hit. So I think it, it goes back and forth in that sense. But it's, I think it's especially hard when you're, you know, really working on something, especially for the kids that you're teaching to kind of have that faith that it's going to get better, that you have to do this you know, it might get worse before it gets better almost in a sense. But yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a weird, I don't know. It's a weird concept. It's it's a balancing act of, I think being tough on yourself, but then also just trying to be positive at the same time.
0: You you said you can be hard on yourself when you make a bad error. What do you mm-hmm. count as a bad error?
1: I it's, it's like so weird how now that I'm better, I've gotten more aware of that just, just like a bad air. Like, you know, uh, I would say like a 30, 15 second serve. And I, I don't put the return in the court or like, you know, or, you know, a, for a point for 1540 to break her serve. Like to me, that's like a bad error. It's like, it, there's no reason to miss that. So like, that's something for me where I just kind of be like, all right, you can't like, can't miss that. Like, and then I kind of try to snap out of it. Whereas, okay, next point. But like that's something to me would be a bad error where I'm just like, there's no reason to miss that or or any, like just a rally ball or something that I know, you know, if I would have moved my feet a little bit faster, there's no way I would miss it. I It's kind of hard. I think it depends on your game and you can kind of, when you start getting to know your game more, you kind of know, I think.
0: So you, yeah, you just touched on it one thing. So you said, oh, well, you know, if my feet weren't set or whatever. One thing we talk about is You know, you have a bunch of different ways you can miss and every time you miss you're upset, like no one enjoys missing. But if you're if you're lazy with your feet, then that's one you probably want back. And if you're trying a stupid shot, that's also probably one you want back. But if you just miss a forehand because it's tough to hit a 70 mile an hour forehand into the court, that happens sometimes. Or if your opponent hits a good shot and makes it tough for you, that also happens because you're one of the best players in the world and you're still losing points. So tennis is difficult, but we talk about just kind of eliminating those footwork mistakes and then those mental errors. Would you say you kind of agree with that?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I think when you start kind of playing every point really, really tough that you'll start to see a lot of those errors go away. And that is kind of, I feel like what happened with me, where like with David and I, especially when I started working with David, it was like you have like every point, every single point, every point, every time, and I don't think I was used to doing that. So when you start doing that more and more, you know, you get better at it. And then all of a sudden, I don't know, maybe you do play a loose point. You're like, wait a second. Like you, you noticed that you weren't maybe there mentally. Um, I don't mean mentally just like not paying attention. I mean, you know, you weren't putting the energy in with your feet or you weren't thinking about what you were going to do on that point. You're just kind of, you know, not really focusing on whatever you're going to do. And then all of a sudden you snap back and you're like, Okay, that was the loose point that you know you you kind of go back to and then you try to snap back into it. So I, yeah, I mean it's definitely like balancing it and trying to figure it out, I guess.
0: Yeah, I think learning how to lose points in games and sets, it's an important part of being mature and, and having clarity of mind. Um, I think I now I don't even know the number, but I, I think I looked up that you won only like high 50% of your total games. Mm-hmm. So it's just, there's a lot of losing that's part of the process. Um, would you rather lose points because you missed your shot going for it? Or would you rather have your opponent hit a winner on you?
1: Oh, I honestly, I'd rather go for it. I, I hate when people are just like teeing off hitting winners on me. <laughs> like it just, feels, it, just, me at all. It, it just feels terrible. Like I'm like, what am I like? I don't know. I just, yeah, no, I'd rather. That, that is- I'd rather miss.
0: Yeah, that's the least surprising answer you'll give the whole <laughs> day. I, th- I think you've always been wired that way, to be honest. You, you've, yeah. you've always gone for it. Okay, so I want to know, you, you mentioned it earlier about kind of when, you know, that, now that you have the new new footwork, new fitness, and you feel like you can grind, but then there are times where you need to step up and be aggressive. I want to talk about how you change strategies within a match. So we just talked about how losing points is very normal. When do you feel like you're losing too many points, like when, when, when is that point in the match or how do you know when you need to switch up your tactic or mm-hmm. when you, the amount you're losing is just a normal part of an everyday match?
1: Well, I think I've gotten smarter. Yeah. At, at knowing when to do that. And so for me, like my baseline, a lot of times that I go back to is, you know, I hit really flat and I hit pretty hard. And so like my always go to now that I feel like I can do more efficiently with my legs is just like hard middle. So I can kind of, I feel like I can always go back to let's even to start a match to try it when you're kind of feeling each other out or maybe, I don't know, it's just weird conditions or it's uncomfortable going hard middle for me is kind of like my baseline. I'm like, okay, this is what I know. I can do this at least no matter what. And that obviously comes with again, figuring out your game and what you're good at and, you know, practice and all that stuff. But that's kind of my, my baseline, which is also a good tactic. So to me, that's kind of what I always go back to no matter what, if every, if things are bad or uncomfortable and then, you know, obviously trying to, to move in and to take, you know, control of the point. I, I mean, it's hard to know. Again, you have to have, I think, a feel for your game. I mean, I kind of know now, which has been a process of when to come in and when to, you know, look to move forward and, I would say, you know, attacking second serves is always something that I think no matter what I'm always going to be doing. And I think that's pretty common in women's tennis, especially. So, you know, you, I always know that, okay, well, I need to attack second serves. That's pretty much a given no matter what. And, you know, then you still can, you know, it depends on how you're returning, but you can kind of feel, you know, if you're winning a lot of those points, then you're probably breaking and then you're, you know, have that baseline of, okay, I'm going hard, middle, hard, middle. And then, you know, you just, I, to me, it's just kind of looking for the short ball, moving in, um, trying to, to get your chances. And I think a lot of it too, is just even again, off the return or something like hit and come in, just kind of like almost break the ice, or maybe you're a little nervous, your feet feel a little slow. I think having certain patterns like that can, can help you to get aggressive and moving forward. And Again, if you're missing a lot and you're giving away a lot of free points because you're trying to do that from you know the first point of the match, but let's just say you're you know you're off that day, then that's when I would go back to okay, well I just need to go hard middle until I start getting my rhythm and my um, my feeling down.
0: I might I might make uh, some t-shirts and I'll send you one that just says hard middle <laughs> on the front because I you bang probably. that drum every day at practice and they're all going to think I like made you say that, but I think it's. A- <laughs> It's such an underrated tactic. I mean, you're still going after the ball, right? You said hard, yeah. so you're not you're not pushing, but you're going no. to a huge part of the court. They have no angle. It's tough to get around the ball. Uh, I think that's a great play, and, and I hope everyone out there listening uses that. I think people going for angles too early and too often is such a problem and such a cause of errors.
1: Yeah, I think especially to start off the match, it's great because the person is not... I mean, especially, obviously, for me, I hit more flat, so people really, like to have a flat ball coming at them up the middle, you know, they feel handcuffed. So, I mean, usually it's a great play. First of all, for yourself to start off with. And then for them too, they don't, people don't like it. Like nobody likes when that's happening. I don't think anybody likes that.
0: Deep fast down the middle is undefeated. It's just, yes. it's not that easy <laughs> of a shot to hit. Um no. So all, all points are created equal obviously. So, you know, if you were six, six in the third set tie break, that point has a lot more value than say, 504011 the first set but do you do anything differently on those big points like as a as a go to play or is that something you also just kind of feel out the situation and how the last couple points have gone
1: I feel like again it's a lot of like I said before like momentum and stuff too or or what you're feeling at the time like I mean maybe I'm missing you know a lot of backhands or a lot of forehands and they kind of hit that I don't know hit a slow second serve to your forehand and you've been missing it all day and it's kind of one of those things in your head it's like do you go for it do you not go for it but again I think that's where you have to you have to kind of make that decision like okay maybe I shouldn't try to hit a winner and come in off the second serve because I've missed every single forehand today and it's just not a good play like maybe that's where you go hard middle but you still hit the crap out of it and all of a sudden you know it could probably help you make the shot and it's still a good play so I think it's just again figuring out those those moments and kind of again feeling how the match is going feeling how you're feeling Um, but you know sports is tough where it's those one of those things you could get lucky and hit a winner or you could go for a winner and miss it and lose the set it's like I think you never really know to be honest sometimes and that's where sports gets hard because it's that one moment where I mean people get lucky all the time and shank a winner and you're like seriously you have missed every single forehand today but you shank a forehand winner at six I mean it happens like all the time so it's just I think you just have to make your decision and and kind of live with it but I think it's important to like have some sort of tactic so I I feel like so then you're if you do lose that point or you win it you're like okay I, I made the decision and it didn't work And that's that, that's better than kind of being like, Oh, well, I didn't really know what to do and blah, blah, blah. And I, I should have went for it, but I pushed it or, or I wasn't really thinking about what I was going to do. And I just tried to hit it as hard as I could and I missed it. So I I feel like it's just having a little bit of a game plan and and trying to execute it, I think also helps live with the downside of if it doesn't go well.
0: Yeah. I, I always laugh when people talk about how unlucky they got, like, Oh my God, I can't, you know, they're so lucky they hit a net cord on this big point as if you've probably never hit a net cord in yeah. your favor on a big point. And it, it <laughs> always equals out. But for some reason, when you have bad luck, it weighs twice as much as when you have good luck. Yeah, uh, for definitely. sure. Okay. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about you as a junior and, and your development. Um, I mentioned earlier, you know, I was there for your first couple lessons, at least in Hildenhead, <laughs> and would sometimes jump in your lessons and, uh, that's crazy that it was that long ago, but I saw what you looked like at age seven and I, I watched kind of how you grew up playing and practicing. And. Um,
1: you probably remember more than I do.
0: I do. Yeah. I mean, of course, of course I do. And, and I saw all the hours you put in. And, and so that's the cool thing for me is that I know everything you've achieved now you've gained through sweat equity. I mean, you worked really hard as a young kid, but if you can think back to maybe say age seven to 12 is there anything that you look back on now and you realize that was a really key component to why I'm having the success that I'm having today?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I just think it's because our coach at the time, Philly Stearns, which is, I did not make it easy, but I, I mean, I think that was really important, but also I had like, you know, as an art coach is really tough on us, but I think, also, like I have the personality for that too. Like, I don't know how much that would work for a kid with a different personality than me. Like, I I think I just really, like, I just love to play tennis. So to me, it was just always, it wasn't always fun, but I just loved like being out there. So I, again, I think Billy really, really pushed me like really hard. And I think that really helped me later on even with like my family and all the stuff going on that we had, like I always knew that I feel like it kind of balanced it out where, you know, he was so tough on us from like pretty much those that age from like seven to 12 or eight to 12, whenever I was really playing that because of that, that later on in my life and all this like, you know, crazy stuff my family was all happening that I didn't really like, it didn't really affect me as much because I was like, well, like I've been working hard since I was like eight. So to me, there's no difference, if that makes sense.
0: No, it does. Totally. What so, I don't know if there look-
1: was a like a specific moment, but I just remember, like, I don't know, just being killed on the court every
0: day. Yeah, no, I mean, and I, honestly, you, <laughs> you kind of were. Yeah, I remember. I mean, there were tears at times, but I mean, you worked hard and he did push you hard, but it was always from a standpoint of you're trying to get better and you say you want to be a great player and... To be great you need to have a great practice every day and i mean at age age eight that's that's really tough to do so i mean yeah you you're tough as nails but again that's that's something that you might say you had an innate personality trait to handle it but also Mm -hmm. part of that is because you just went through it every day and you worked like crazy and and you you took criticism uh very well i might add but you know he was on you and and i think that is a big reason why why you're tough and why you've gotten where you where you've gotten to today if you could look back now what is one thing that you would maybe want to do differently in those developmental years
1: i definitely would have started playing ter- more tournaments um more tournaments when i was younger i probably wouldn't have maybe not have played up as much i think that like i definitely played up too quick and i like for me it was the opposite like you were talking about how losing was important i think i lost Way too much when I was younger, and I never learned how to win. And that was something I would definitely just do differently. I don't know, you know, saying now I've done pretty well, and I think I would be fine either way. But I think maybe for some people not to get caught up in like, oh, they're winning, like they should play up and try. And like, I think that's important. But then at the same time, you know, you see these juniors or these really good juniors or kids that are now pros and it's like they dominate at like the 12s, the 14s, the 16s, the 18s, and then they go and they dominate in college and then all of a sudden they're really good in the pros. So I think that also has some some value to it.
0: So would you say you would, you think before you start playing up an age group that you better make sure that you're already kind of dominating the one that you're in?
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: That's great advice. I think sometimes, sometimes people want to play up. Yeah, sometimes people want to play up because it's a bigger ball. And then sometimes I think it's like it can almost be a check out. out. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. exactly. Like you, you, you're playing someone your own age, and you know it's tough being the one seed in a tournament. That's a lot of pressure, you know. And so I see that a lot. That that's great advice for people out there. So speaking of that, though, so you played up, you did lose probably (laughs) more than you would have liked to. (laughs) Um, Did you ever doubt? along that process and go, man, am I ever going to be, you know, what I say I want to be?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think of course, because you're losing all, I mean, losing is losing, whether you're honestly, like you said, no one wants to lose. So like losing in the 16s or the 18s is probably the freaking same in the end as when you're losing in 12s, like it sucks. So I remember it was interesting when I, the only, like literally the only 12-under tournament I remember playing was Eddie Hur, and I played it twice and I made it to the quarters And it was weird because that was like a really good result for, you know, when you're 12 or 11 and 12. But to me, I wasn't like used to that because I was always playing like the 16s and 18s. So, I mean, like that's something, I don't even remember your question. What was your main question? (laughs) Uh,
0: Did you doubt yourself?
1: Okay. So yes. So I would say, yeah, of course I doubted myself. And then there was moments where I didn't doubt myself where I was like, I think when I did well in the, like the 12s, um, Eddie Herr may have been like a good moment for me because I was like, okay, wait, like I'm actually pretty good. And then all of a sudden I remember doing well and Eddie Herr would like kind of like shoot your ranking up really high. And all of a sudden I'd be like a top ranked nationally 12 and under. And I never, from playing like one tournament a year. And I'd be like, oh my God, I didn't, like it was kind of like a big deal to me, but it was in the 12s and I wasn't used to that. So yes, I did doubt myself. And then I guess Eddie Herr was, a moment where I didn't doubt myself. And I felt more comfortable. Right.
0: Yeah, you got a result and that, that gave you some confidence. If, yeah. you, if you could speak directly, I'm sure there are kids listening you know, all around the world, but what advice would you give to someone who's say 13, 14 years old and they look up to you right now and they go, I want to have what she has. When, when they're 27, they want to be 18 in the world. What's the best advice that you could give them?
1: Oh, um I mean, uh, there's, that's, that's a tough question, but I think I would just say that I would just say that it's a long, like it's a long journey and that so many things can happen. You can get hurt. You can do really well. You can have a great week and then, you know, play horrible for six months. Like it's so up and down. So I think you just need to set like really small goals every single day and build off of that as much as you can, because It's like a marathon, not a sprint. And I think sometimes I see a lot in younger girls or younger juniors that, you know, get really excited because they did well in a tournament or, you know, they have this really big result. And it's like, oh, like, you know, I've kind of like, I've made it and blah, blah, blah. And then, like, girls don't want to match for like two months and they're like, wanna quit tennis. It's like so (laughs) up and down emotionally. I think you just have to find small wins every single day and work on something small every single day. And then that will just build over years and years and years and years, whatever level you're trying to get to. I think that is, I think that's the main thing that you have to focus on always, no matter, I mean, you can have other goals and all this other stuff going on, but just getting a little bit better every single day, it sounds cliche, but if you really focus on that mentality, uh, it works.
0: And what do you do? What's your advice to them? When so that's your mentality, right? Like I want to get better every day. Mm -hmm. But what about what about when you come out and everyone's had it, and you just have a horrible practice, and you feel like you got worse? The reality is you probably got better because you were making good errors. But when the short term isn't going the way you want, do you have any advice for how to persevere through that?
1: Yeah, I think. Well, I think you can also find other things to get better at. Like it doesn't have to be on the court; it can be in the gym. It can be reading a book like a I don't know a mental or sports something book that you like to do um something else you like to do so I think there's a lot of other things which I've learned too that really helped um you know let's say you had a really really bad practice well you can still you know go in the gym and have a really good workout and you're still making progress if there's something that you're working on in the gym or something you're working on you could go watch film and be like okay well I'm hitting my forehand hair terrible let's go watch some you know, and it just kind of puts you in a better mood that you're still learning and you're still open and you don't have that like closed minded frustration going on because it's definitely going to happen. So I think whether it's watching film or doing something in the gym or reading or meditating, whatever it is that like other tools that also should go into your game. And as a person, those you can also, you know, always do better at those. You can find something.
0: All right, we're gonna we're gonna finish up with some Instagram questions. Okay. I posted a I, I posted a story today asking uh, everyone who followed me on Instagram to to send questions in, and I chose the five or six that I thought you you might enjoy. Okay. So, first first question: What is the most memorable experience you've had on tour that didn't happen on a tennis court? Oh,
1: that's really tough. Like outside, like the site, or. Be- no,
0: just uh j- just saying that you can't you know you're not winning it's not it's not hey I, I got to the quarters of the Australian you okay. know that's not that's not um, exactly uh <laughs>
1: I would say I, I don't I mean I don't know if this counts but I like I think the past year it's been really cool to see people like know who I am and so at the U.S. Open this year especially after I had like a really good year I wasn't able to see any fans that much at all and U.S. Open there were fans and I was in you know in the U.S. and I'm an American and like so many people were like oh my god like we're rooting for you blah, blah blah and like I was so not used to that so I would say that was a really cool experience like recently where I was like oh wow this is really cool like people I haven't seen any fans and then like all of a sudden people know and are cheering for me and I'm like you know the top drink American to do well at the U S open. I would say that kind of in a nutshell would be probably the coolest.
0: What does a typical training day look like during a tournament? And then how does that differ in the off season?
1: So in the off season, um, I mean like when I'm training a lot, like I'm into like, you know, it's a lot of training. Um, I, I mean at least work out probably for an hour and a half, uh, Five, probably six days a week. And some of those days are almost two days as well. And then I usually practice at least like two to three hours, depending on how I'm feeling. Um, So yeah, like, I mean, when you put it all together, it's like six hours, I feel like, of training by the time you warm up and you cool down and you do all your recovery stuff as well. And then during tournaments, um, tournaments, I don't, I mean, I'm trying not to practice as much, so I'm trying to practice like a little less and not overthink things. but I would say it's usually max like almost two hours in between uh like maybe leading up to a tournament, but the day before a tournament starts, only i mean maybe forty five minutes and then if I'm you know winning and playing matches, I just warm up for thirty minutes max um during the tournament.
0: My coach used to call that cramming for the exam. When, when- <laughs> when kids would hit like two hours the day before a match and it's like, Hey, you know, that's not going to work. <laughs> you're just going to get tired and stressed. So, and so
1: David, I had this joke, basically it was kind of like a, if you're not, if you're not ready by now, then, and then that was kind of it. If you're not ready right. to go by now, <laughs> because yeah, I would, I, I forget when you're, or maybe it was us open last year. It was like our running joke because I'd be like complaining and everything feels terrible blah, blah, blah. And then I don't know if he said it or I said it. And it was just kind of like, oh, well, if you're not ready now, you're, you're not ever going to be ready. Because it's so true. It's exactly what you said, cramming for an exam.
0: Well, the funny thing is, and you know, when you're playing well, you play well a couple of days in a row until all of a sudden you're not playing well, right? Like that's mm-hmm. just normal sports. And then when you're not playing well, it seems like you'll never play well again. And then all of a sudden you wake up and your forehand is back. And so the day before a tournament, I've seen some of my players hit the ball so terribly. And then the next morning, they're awesome. And I've <laughs> seen kids the day before look fantastic. And then they show up the next day and they can't play. And so there's not usually a great correlation between the lead up practice and the match. And so, yeah, your advice to just kind of like, hey, get a little bit of work in, keep yourself fresh. I think that's, that's great advice to anyone listening. Okay. Wait, one more thing do you to add you- to that. Oh, oh,
1: sorry. We, we laugh because we like, it's definitely more of a a girl's thing. I will say girls will freak out. And it's like, they're doing feeds for like hours. And I've been guilty of that. And guys are just like, like, don't care at all. They're like, yeah, I'm going to hit for like 15 minutes and get out of here. They like want nothing to do it. So there was this joke during the Olympics this year that, you know, the guys and the girls both went and Francis TFO, like him and like Tommy Paul and like all the guys would just be like, Like oh how was practice guys we're like oh good and they're like wow you were out there for a while like I just needed a I just needed a tickle today and I'm like a tickle I'm like what are you talking about they're like just 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 a little tickle that's that's all you need you don't need to go out there and like overthink it and like he's like you you girls are crazy like I don't know why you're out there for like three hours and then so like ever since actually this year is when I've really noticed it and we're pretty. Um, we always hang out with like Steve Johnson and stuff like that. And during tournaments, he's literally like, yeah, I hit for 20 minutes. Like that's, and I'm done. And we're like, what? And he's like, yeah, I it's not going to get any better. So I might as well just stop now. (laughs) So it's just funny how it's definitely, I feel like correlated with girls and guys for sure.
0: Got it. And we we can call those short practices a tickle. Yes. Okay. Good to know. All right. Yep. I learned something new today. Uh, (laughs) Where, where do you get your motivation from?
1: Um, I think I have just grown up with this, like, always do your best type of mentality. And I've just, you know, I love playing tennis. It's my passion. And I've just always, I feel like, been wired that way or brought up that way maybe. So to me, it's like, I, it's people ask me where I get my like oh, how are you motivated or how do you stay motivated? And to me, it's like such a weird question because I'm like, why wouldn't I be motivated <laughs> to be the best I could be like every single day? Um, obviously there's ups and downs with that, but I think I am a little bit of, of a perfectionist and um, I, I don't know, maybe it stems from that.
0: Uh, here's a great question. There's a big difference between thinking and doing it. When it came to competing on the biggest stages, what was the biggest key to overcoming that hurdle?
1: I think it's good to think about it a lot because that means you want it and that means it's something you want to do. And hopefully you're visualizing that in a positive way. Hopefully you're not thinking about losing. So I think that is an important part of it. Um, The doing it part, again, I think I've gotten a lot better on the bigger stages because I built up experience like week in and week out of playing tough matches and stuff like that. And I think doing a lot of that just kind of adds up and, you know, keeps adding up to like a higher level to where now when you get to that higher level, it doesn't seem like such a big deal. But I, I think that you always need kind of, I don't know, maybe that one match that kind of catapults you. And again, I think it's just it feels like such a huge deal and it's really not. And once you get over that and fight through that mentally, physically, or from building up for momentum for matches throughout the year, whatever it's going to be, um, it just gets much easier to deal with.
0: And the hardest question that I saved for the last and, uh, <laughs> and I am asking it is, okay. you can't, you can't back out of this one. Uh, which one of your dogs is your favorite? <laughs>
1: What? That's a terrible
0: yeah. question. It's it, hey, well, guess what? You're gonna answer no, which one I of your dogs you love the most. I
1: love them all equally.
0: They can't understand. They don't know you're doing this podcast. They'll never know.
1: No, what? Okay, that's like <laughs> if you had three. If you had three Lulus, and you're like, which one is the favorite?
0: I know, but I'm not being interviewed, am I?
1: But that's just you can't. You're you have an only child, so it doesn't. You can't understand.
0: That's true. I love them all equally. I think the one thing I realized when we were at your wedding is I thought I was obsessed with my dogs and I still, I still, I still am like insane about my dog Lulu, but you are a whole different breed uh, with (laughs) yours and I, and I love you for it. It's great.
1: (laughs) I, you actually, my dad, I think my dad is actually the most obsessed out of everybody. He's, he's insane with the dogs, but no, I love them all equally.
0: Now you, you, you won't take them. You can't take them to Australia, right? no.
1: No, so you I just got to, you just
0: got to go like what? Like a month without them.
1: I know. So I like to feed them a lot before I leave. <laughs> like I make sure that I feed them. Well, most of the time, like in the morning and at night, because I'm like, well, I need to like get on their good graces. Cause when I leave, they definitely get way more attached to Taylor when I'm gone.
0: Uh, any FaceTimes?
1: Yeah, but they don't really like, some dogs see the FaceTimes. They don't really pay attention to the FaceTime. Like, I don't think they get it. And I, well, they say dogs don't know time, right? They can't tell like how long, I don't know if that's true. That's what they say, but yeah, I definitely think they get way more attached to Taylor. And then I get upset. Like I get mad.
0: Yeah. Taylor's going to be very happy about that, that they will be, Oh yeah. He loves it.
1: And I just get upset. (laughs)
0: All right. Well, Hey, listen, thanks for your time. Uh, I know this is a busy time of year for you. And then, then you're leaving for Australia soon, but uh, good luck. I will be following the whole way, hopefully texting you a little bit, checking in on you, but uh, appreciate you spending time with us tonight.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun.
0: All right. I want to thank Jesse again for joining us today for our first episode. My two biggest takeaways from listening is how simple her tactic of hitting hard down the middle is and how crucial it seems to be to her game. Maybe a lot of you assume the top players are doing really complicated things out there, but we now know of at least one top 20 professional player who keeps things really simple. I also found it interesting that she keeps her practices during tournaments very short. Great advice for all the juniors and league players out there. Please stop cramming for the exam with these long pre-match practices. I want to thank you all for listening. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there, and I'm grateful you chose to join me today. I'm motivated to evolve and improve, so please subscribe if you enjoyed the episode, and leave a comment or review so we can keep getting better every week. For more, check out my Instagram at Stokey Tennis for clips from these podcasts, as well as general drills and tips to help your tennis game. Thanks for listening. I hope you just improved at tennis without even hitting a ball.